What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from IndieHackers.com, and you're listening to the Indie Hackers podcast. More people than ever are building cool stuff online and making a lot of money in the process. And on this show, I sit down with these indie hackers to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. All right, I'm here with Brett Williams. Brett, how's it going? Great, man. How are you? Doing excellent. It's nice to meet you. I've been seeing your name pop up constantly on indie hackers, on Twitter for like the last couple years. And it's crazy. You have this crazy business. You're making over a million dollars a year as a one-person design agency. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it, it's it's pretty uh, pretty crazy. It's been a crazy ride for. I've been going at it. Yeah, I've been on indie hackers around for gosh many many years, but going at this for for five. So it's I've been around the block a couple of times with this thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's like the most inspirational possible story. It's like who doesn't want to make a million dollars by themselves, right? Every indie hacker is like, if I could just like not hire a whole team, not manage a bunch of people, if I could work like looks like looks like you're in your apartment. I assume you just work from home and make a ton of money doing what I love. Like that's the dream, <laughs> and you you've like hit that dream, and you've been there for some time. Like it wasn't this wasn't just like yesterday. You've been posting about this for years. I was reading some of your old comments on indie hackers. When you just kind of started Design Joy, things were going okay. And one of them you talked about this fear that it wouldn't scale. You're thinking, you know, I'm doing this on the side. I've got a full-time job or, you know, a different job. I'm working on these design projects for people. You know, I'm already at the point where I've got six or seven customers. I'm not sure if I could possibly scale this business. So maybe, I think you said, maybe I'm forever doomed to be a lifestyle business. And here you are. (laughs) You clearly push past that point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's partly you know my own self doubt, but also you know I've had a lot of people over the years that I've just spoken to that that also kind of put that doubt in, in as well. You know, when I explain the model and I explain the fact that I'm just doing it myself, I mean, you have people on one hand that say, you know, getting clients will never be your bottleneck; it'll be scaling this thing. And then you have other, you know, the other side is like you're going to burn yourself out, and you're never going to want to design another screen again, right? Like, and and those two things have have certainly played a part in just my mental health every day and, and just figuring out like, is this a long-term play? But I mean, I guess time is, has, has sort of told and, and I'm, time will continue to tell whether it is, but I've been going at it long enough where I've proven a lot of them wrong up until this point. Yeah. And I've just gotten better at what I do. So it's it's in a sense, it's getting a little bit easier the, the further I go along. So let's talk about like the, the actual business. It's called Design Joy. I'm looking at your website. It's super slick. As it probably should be, because you're a designer. Are you all, <laughs> yeah. like, what's your what's your skill set? Like, how do you how did you build something like this? What did it take? Yeah, I've gone through the typical path a designer designer kind of goes through. I started out, actually started out. Um, I was one of the first. This is kind of a, a silly thing. I was kind of one of the first ones um, on the internet to actually create these like silly, like corny, inspirational quote images back in back in 2009. So okay. I started out with like graphic that design. That was me. That was, <laughs> I was saw me a lot of those. <laughs> yep. Um, now they're everywhere, but yeah, so I started out like graphic design. Like that was my, that was my passion for the first year or two of like getting into the design world. And then that gradually went into like web design specifically like landing pages, marketing sites. And then that sort of graduated onto like product design, branding. So in the course of my career, I've gotten a skill set of just about most areas in design with the exception of a few. And then just kind of honed in on honed in on those. 
how do you how do you become good at this? Is it like you're just like people are paying you to do this? Are you just dabbling? Are you taking classes online? Because I think yeah, most people. I'm a designer myself. I think most people consider themselves to either have an eye for design or they don't. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, for me, the path that I, I think is different, uh, especially like in this day and age, right? The courses and and YouTube is so big. I got my. I didn't. I didn't go to school for this. I'm. I'm a self-taught designer, and I just hustled. I started surrounding myself with good design. I'm a like a sucker for like dribble and the all these like super you know popular design sort of inspo sites. I'm. I'm constantly surrounding myself with that. So it it creates some creativity in my brain, but also gives me a lot of a lot of direction to go with projects where I don't have to typically do a lot of research before I start one. I have almost like this repository in my brain of of all these like cool, you know, projects I've seen in the past. Um so yeah, I mean for me it was like I created fake projects for myself. It's hard starting out a designer to get a to get a, a design gig. And so I created the experience for myself, which I don't hear a lot of people doing, right? Like I hear, I see a lot of forums like, how do I get a job if I don't have any experience? Like, why don't people give me a chance, right? It's like, my advice is go out and create the experience for yourself. Create fake projects, take a project, go to Product Hunt, take a project, make it better, redesign it, go through that process. And that's really within anyone's hands, you know, today to kind of start that process without waiting on someone else to give you that opportunity. I like that you said you surrounded yourself with good design. You're on Dribble. You're looking at like the best designs. I think that's the best possible thing you can do to get good at stuff because like half of it is just taste. You know, if you're out there making different mockups and designs and you're you know creating logos and stuff and you don't have good taste, you can't even tell if your own stuff is good. <laughs> and so you yeah. don't know when to when to stop working on it and release it or when to keep working on it. And so I think surrounding yourself with like really good design and developing your taste over time, it's crazy. It makes you so picky. Because I remember like mm-hmm. when I was younger, I just thought everything looked great. I was like, oh, that looks amazing. And now I look back at the things I thought looked great. I'm like, that looks terrible. Like, why did I ever <laughs> think that looked good? And it's because I didn't have any taste. Yeah, I mean, and it also like it does that, but it also allows you to stay on top of kind of what's in, right? Because mm-hmm. the design world, many, much like any other industry, it evolves and changes constantly, right? Like one day Brutalist is in, another, another time like, you know, flat minimalism. in, now right. illustrations are out and photography is coming back in. And so it's like a good way to just keep a pulse on staying like, you know, front and center on sort of like latest design trends because that's all they are. Design is just a bunch of trends, right? That evolve all, all the time. And what better way to do that than to immerse yourself in it every day? So at some point you built Design Joy and mm-hmm. I guess this is like sort of a twist where you're like, you know, what? I'm a designer. I want to make money in a completely different way than I have before. Uh, how did how did that idea come about? Yeah, I mean, I I had a corporate job. I was in the corporate world for quite a while, bouncing around every one or two years. I never stayed put anywhere, and um, I always kind of you know like like any kind of entrepreneur stuck in like a corporate job, you have this just burning desire to break out and to be able to make it on your own. And I had that for a really long time. I thought of going the freelance route. That was sort of the the route, you know, it's big now, but like it, it you know, it was kind of growing back then. And I didn't know how to enter the market as just another freelancer because it, you know, it, it's everyone's a freelancer. It's hard to differentiate yourself. You're just one of a million others that are out there. And so I thought I'll create a brand around myself. I I'll remove my name from the equation, create this brand, I'll run it myself. I actually got 
the idea uh, to structure it the way I did from another productized design service called Design Pickle, which I'm sure most people listening are familiar with. Uh, and I executed an area that they weren't servicing, which was landing pages, branding, and product design. They were heavily focused on the graphic design side, servicing local and small businesses. No one at the time were like going after the YC you know, startups and, and all of these more premium end of, uh, end of businesses. And so I, I created something that utilized their model because they validated it. I didn't have to validate it at all and uh, sort of piggybacked off that and, and took a different angle at it. That's awesome. I think that's like the smartest so, thing you could possibly do is you look at what's already working. You find someone, like you said, who's already validated the idea. Like, okay, you know, Design Pickle's working. They're making money hand over fist. And then you just figure out, how can I make this my own, right? Put your own little tweak on it, your own little twist on it. You know, target your own market that they're not targeting. And that's fine. It kind of works because the business model is, is proven. It's such a smart way to do things. And I think so many people don't go that route because they think, oh, this idea is already taken. You know, Design Pickle's already doing unlimited design. I guess my idea sucks. You know, I can't possibly <laughs> do something that someone's already done. And that's like, it's so, it couldn't be further from the truth. No, I mean, it's, yeah, kudos to you if you're able to create something unique that hasn't been done before. I mean, that that's a that's a definitely like a, a good skill set to have. But it, it's not always about reinventing the wheel. I don't, I don't judge a startup idea's, val, you know, val, validity based on how unique it is. I think that's a mistake. I think... Looking for opportunities to make it better, looking to niche down on on a model that's already proven to be working. There's so many different ways to borrow what's already out there without outright stealing it and making your own and targeting a different audience or offering a better product or service in general, even targeting the same audience. You know, there's multiple ways to go about it. Doing totally new stuff is is so overrated because, like you said, like no one's like ah, you know, I've. I would eat at this Italian restaurant, but like I've already eaten at an Italian restaurant before. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm done with Italian restaurants forever. Like it needs to be something new. Like no one, no one does that. But I think as a creator, it's so easy to think like you have to do something new. And that path is so much harder. It's so much harder because you're basically doing something that like you haven't. No one has proven will work. Mm -hmm. You know, and what you're doing, it's like you're making a million dollars a year and doing something that people have wanted and paid for for like a hundred years <laughs> like design exactly. it's not it's not that new it's <laughs> exactly. not that complex you're just doing it and i think a very clever creative way that that allows you to scale so let's talk about the the uh the structure how does design joy work exactly yeah so what makes design joy different is it's what what's called a product is ties service where we basically sell design as you do a product it's a uh, fixed outcome fixed price uh, basically subscription plans for you know companies in need of either a full-time designer, a design support system, just one-off projects, ongoing ongoing design support. And it's just really easy to get started. I've you know lowered the barrier as much as humanly possible to get started with any service. It's actually quicker to to sign up for Design Joy and get designs going than to like buy a t-shirt. It takes less time to do that. And yeah, so like once once you know, companies have a subscription that basically, essentially, it's like a glorified freelance retainer for me. They, it's it's a month to month thing. They can input design needs as they as they pop up. It could be anything and everything from, you know, software design to logo creation, brand guide creation, pitch decks, whatever. And they just work through one by one. So once we complete one request, we move on to the next request and the process just keeps going. It's sort of like an execution machine with a lot of a little bit of like right. strategy involved as well. 
Right. Yeah, I'm on your website. I'm testing out your super fast sign-up process. So I click see plans. I see the plans. I basically just click get started. This is expensive. Design, $4,995 a month. Our design plus Webflow, $5,500 a month. And even enterprise, like book a call, and people can book a call. (laughs) You don't have the pricing on the website, so I imagine it's pretty pricey. I just doubled my prices last Friday, I think. So okay. yeah, it wasn't it wasn't wow. as expensive, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I click sign up. I put in my email address and my password. And the first thing it does is say, confirm and pay $4,595 with a little mm-hmm. checkout form. So it's like, it's straight yeah. to business. You're not, you're not fucking around. Like I immediately get nope. asked to pay. Straight to business right after that too. I mean, there's not like a, we don't hop on a call or like, or I don't have any like fancy onboarding forums. I just... I have this automated system that creates a Trello board. You send an invite, and then you're in. That that you're ready within like 30 seconds to submit a request. So I think one of the biggest questions that people have for you, and I've seen this all over. I saw this in Hacker News the other day uh, when there was a post kind of about your business. I saw this on ND Hackers. I've seen this on Twitter, where you're talking about how many people are coming to Design Joy and how much money you're making, and people are like, "But Brett, like, how can you possibly, as a one-person operation, handle this?" kind of flow people have even like done a bunch of like math on like in the comments to try to figure out okay well brett has you know making a million dollars a year that's twenty thousand dollars a week and he has you know he needs this many customers 35 customers that means he has to be working one hour a week per customer there's no way he could possibly do it this business is bullshit how many customers do you have i guess and how do you handle that workload yeah i've wrestled with this question because i didn't start out being able to do what i do today i mean it's been a gradual sort of growth as a designer to be able to handle the volume that I'm at. And no one can really understand it. And then this is just something that I've just been enlightened of recently because I never knew how to answer this. I would always just say like, oh, I'm just fast, right? Like I'm just a fast designer. I'm, you know, whatever. I think what what I've come to the conclusion of is I, you know, I give this reference of like, I've been like forged in this fire for five years. I started out running it for three years, managing seven to 10 clients, it gradually started growing after like the three-year mark to where it is now, which is in the 40 to 50 range. And without going through that, you, I understand how it seems impossible, especially like from a designer standpoint that understands how projects typically go. But I, I've been forged to be able to pump out design work at an insane rate of, of speed that other designers just probably can't match because they haven't gone through what I've gone through. But aside from just like just sheer like ability and, and skill, it would be more like there's other things that are involved too with allowing me to do this. Like I have a zero tolerance meeting policy. So if a client signs up and they want to hop on a call, the answer is always no, no matter what. Um, managing 40 clients, you can imagine if I hop on a call for an hour, I mean, I get three or four clients work done in an hour. And it is true. Um, and it sounds crazy, but I don't, I don't really spend more than an hour a week on a client. So my hourly rate is actually really high, but the volume mm. of work that I give you is more than a typical designer spends in an hour. So it's hard to kind of compare a typical designer with myself having gone through what I've gone through with the right, design joy. Right. So basically, you've become a superhuman <laughs> is the answer to this question. I mean, you put anybody through what I've been through. I mean, the, whether you take it you know, for development or content writing or any, th- any kind of skill... Or, you know, shooting a basketball, right? Like if you go out and shoot a thousand hoops a day, right? Like you're going to be good. And that's what I've done with design. You, know, you don't typically make that same reference, but that's what I've done right. through Design Joy. Just gotten super fast. And, and I found this mm-hmm. post that I was referencing earlier. It's from January 24th, 2020. So this is 
those precious couple months before the pandemic, you posted on Andy Hackers. This post got 6,000 page views. You said, I run an unlimited design service by myself with Brett Williams. And near the end of it, you say, at any given point, I have about six to seven clients subscribed with another two to three paused while their product is in development. That results in about five to $6,000 a month in recurring revenue, $220,000 to date. It's not a significant amount, but it's a side income. You said, I've been given multiple opportunities to blow Design Joy up into a multi-million dollar business nearly overnight by people like the Dave Ramsey Show and others, but I'm in no position to do that. I can't duplicate myself. I can't hire designers to work as quickly as I can, or if I can, they can't produce the level of quality that I demand my service provides. So I guess Design Joy will forever just be a side project, not a real company with real employees. But hey, if I can make an extra $6,000 every month, I suppose I should be fine with that. <laughs> That was a long time ago. $6,000 a month, small, far cry from what you're doing right now. Uh, well, tell, me, tell me what happened since then, because obviously things have changed. Yeah. Um, really, the pandemic really accelerated things for me. It was kind of like an overnight growth spurt. I don't know. I can't necessarily like directly correlate it to the pandemic, but it happened around the same time. That's when Design Joy went from like, okay, it's a side project making a really good side income for me to now this is be quickly becoming my life and taking over my full-time job. Certain things have happened over, you know, the the sharing my story about being a one-person design agency is and, and doing the volume I am is in a way it's a, it's a very notable thing that people catch on to and are curious about and want to duplicate themselves. So, in part it's sort of my story of it's funny, like my growth has fueled my growth in a sense. Um, sharing my, my my milestones that I've hit sort of fuel more growth and more growth and more growth. And then, um, yeah, like all the way up until four weeks ago, I was doing I think like eighty k MRR. I I had my I had a full time job until last October when I was doing eighty k, and four weeks ago, somebody tweeted Dan Rowden on Twitter tweeted about Design Joy, and it's jumped up. 50k in revenue a month, 100 people plus on a waiting list, double my prices. Like that, that one tweet just changed my life. I got on Twitter finally. <laughs> I was like forced to go on Twitter, started building an audience, giving insight looks into how I run things, what my Trello boards look like, an Airtable looks like, kind of peeling back the layers. And so that that was the biggest growth spurt. It was, I mean, it wasn't just in a matter of two weeks that my business basically grew by 50% almost. That's so, nuts. and I'm looking at the Wayback Machine, classic, classic website. It's awesome because you can just go back in time, see any website and what it looked like at some point in the past. So, I go to, you know, mm -hmm. Wayback Machine, designjoy.co is your website. And I can see snapshots from 2019, snapshots from March 2020, right? And you were charging, you know, I think this is probably a big part of your success. You were charging like $400 a month, $495 a month. Literally ten times less than you're charging yeah. today. <laughs> so yeah. You can have ten times fewer customers, right? And make the same amount today as you're making then. And you have more customers now than you did then. So it's like this kind of explosion in like the popularity of your website combined with the fact that you're charging way more for what you do. The price increases, every time I've increased my prices, it hasn't been I mean, sure, it's to make more money, but the the reaction has always been to stifle growth. As an entrepreneur, I don't. I've never intended to grow Design Joy. I had no. I have never had a formal traditional marketing strategy. Never spent a, an ad on or a dollar on paid ads, anything like that. I've been content with where I'm at, no matter where I'm at. So yeah, every every time that I've increased my prices, I've thought that it'll stifle growth. I've thought that I'll price myself out uh, <laughs> of a market, and it's a funny thing because I've been told, especially on indie hackers, right? Like 
I'll, pr- I'll propose a problem and everyone will be like, raise your prices. Like that's just the common answer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to, you know, if you're, if you're overwhelmed and uh, the demand is, is higher than the supply. So, and I always thought this kind of insecurity part of me is I didn't want to price myself. I didn't want to make myself too expensive. I thought I'd lose people, but it has had the opposite reaction every single time. Even doubling my prices a couple days ago has had an opposite reaction. So, you know, I'm sure there's a ceiling to it, but the the idea that that raising your prices will will hinder you in any way um, has not been the case for me. No, I'm talking to uh, Patrick McKenzie later today. I'm actually talking to him tonight because he's in Tokyo, so I'm going to be talking to him on like Japan time. But he's like his whole like mantra for the last like 15 years has been charge more. Like literally just mm. those two words. He has helped so many entrepreneurs make a ton more money and make their businesses work. And I think consulting and like agency work in particular, there's this combination of like charging more that helps you, but also charging for like a more broadly defined sort of thing. And so I think one of the reasons why a lot of people don't want to be contractors or freelancers or run an agency, because it seems like you're just trading dollars for hours, right? And in some sense, like you are, right? Like at the end of the day, if you Mm -hmm. stop designing (laughs) tomorrow, like you stop making money, right? Yeah, that's it. Your, Your customers leave and like that's a wrap, right? And so a lot of people, when they become freelancers, they charge hourly. And the downside of charging hourly is that like, you're very clearly communicating to your clients, like you are paying for my time. <laughs> this is not a service to help your business grow. This is not a service to help make you money. You're just paying for my time. And like that yeah. kind of screws you over. Whereas like better than that is to charge daily or weekly or monthly. Because you say mm-hmm. like, hey, you're not paying for my time. You're paying for a business outcome that might make you millions of dollars. So it might be worth millions of dollars for you to pay me. It might take me a few weeks or whatever, but that's the price. I'm making you this much money. I want you know you to pay me commensurate with that. And you shift from charging for your time to charging for work that's done. And I think that what you've done is like the best version of it, which is not only just charging monthly, but charging like you're basically on retainer. Even if you don't do any work for somebody, mm-hmm. they're still paying you. So it's like almost a digital design version of like paying for a gym membership and then forgetting to go, but you're still yeah. paying. You know what? You want the convenience of being able to go whenever you want to without having to sign up again. There's a large subset of my clients that really utilize DesignJoy on a daily basis. And quite honestly, there's a lot that I go over a month without doing any work for them. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing for, for me. And, and also, you know, it's not just a beautiful thing for me, but it's, it's nice for the client too, because they're out of this sort of wheel of like, of, having to get quotes from designers and having to work with them on a consistent basis when oftentimes they're very inconsistent and sometimes unreliable and difficult to find all these sort of like pain points of finding designer are completely true but it's it offers predictability and they can budget for it they can cancel it when they want to if they don't have any upcoming work they can pause things right like i've made it as client friendly as i can while still offering myself the predictability too around what I'm going to make this month, so I don't have to. I don't have to be concerned about about that. Do you think this is something that anybody can do? I mean, this guy. I think you saw the post. It was like a blog post by this guy Ahmed, who's an indie hacker, and he wrote the agencies of one storm is coming. <laughs> it's a very predictive post. Like, here's what's going to happen in the mm-hmm. future. We're going to see more people like Brett. And he was like a little miniature case study on how your business works, how it's an agency of one. And why it's the future? Do you, do you agree with him? Do you think it's going to be the future? I, I don't know. I, I think that um, you, you've got to be <clears throat> two things to make this work. I mean, three things really. You've got to have a good sense of business. Some designers are just designers, and I, I'm almost that. I have I've created businesses in the past, and I understand how they work. 
and how to run one. But you got to be, you got to be have some sort of a good business sense. You got to be a really good designer and you got to be really fast. Those, those three things rarely go together. They certainly do. And there's a lot of people out there that I think could run a very successful agency of one, whether you're talking design or again, content or, you know, some sort of even deeper niche than that. I I think so. I think especially barring off of what I've done with design joy and, and creating the parameters and restrictions that I've set around it really allow for a lot of people to be able to do what I do. As long as you're, you know, have a good business sense, good at design, good at your skill and are fast at it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think one of the cool things is like, let's say you're a typical designer. Like every single time you talk to a client, you got to sit down, you got to have a call, figure out what their mm-hmm. particular needs are. It's not streamlined. They're different than all your other clients. And so you've got to like shift your headspace, maybe do something you've never done before in a different way. There's all this back and forth feedback. It just slows you down, you know? Whereas if you structure yourself instead of as a freelancer, the way that you've done it, it's more of like an intake form. It's like, hey, I'm Brett. This is what I do. Do you fit like, you know, I've got like kind of a square hole. Are you a square peg? Come on in. (laughs) (laughs) I can process you real quick. If you're not, like go somewhere else. Like you're not my customer. Exactly. I mean, that's, I've fortunately been able to get to that point where I can can be selective with who I work with. I can be brutally honest on my... They're, they're like calls that people most people don't just like sign up the form and like drop five grand without talking to me first so i do allow i do allow calls before signing up to ensure it's a good fit and right. that's not only to benefit the client to make sure it's a good fit but it's also an opportunity for me to determine if this client's a good fit as well right and um i've gotten to the point where i've been able to just be extremely transparent honest about my process what design joy is versus what it is not and it's allowed me, I think people trust me more because I'm not, I don't try to sell design joy to you on these calls. I don't really need more clients, but I want to work at the same time. I want to work with people who this model works well for because it's a win win. Right. So, yeah, I think what you've done is pretty cool because I think a lot of entrepreneurs are dealing with like more of a scarcity mindset around customers. Like, it's so rare to get anyone coming in to pay, right? It's such a luxury to have somebody who wants to pay you over the internet. Like, you can't turn down anybody. <laughs> If someone's going to come and they're going to pay you for something, like, you got to say yes to it, right? It's the same as a scarcity mindset around anything else in life. You know, like if you're starving, you're not going to turn down any food that comes your way. You're going to say yes to it. But if you come from a place of abundance, which like obviously is easier <laughs> if you have millions in revenue coming in from tons of clients, then you can be picky. Then you can say, this is not my customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you start that way? You know, at what point did you begin to get picky? No, man, I was so desperate up front. Um, I would have taken any anyone and everybody. I mean, of, of course, there were clients along the way that just sucked the life out of me and the the just the mental energy out of me, and I got rid of those. But I am a three thousand percent more picky now than I was back then, and you have to be. I mean, it's it's in an effort. It's not to be conceited or to be harsh. It's really to protect what you've built and to protect your client base and allow you to keep, you know, continue to serve them well. If you let one bag egg into the mix, if I have to spend 30 minutes like on a call with you or typing an email to you, that takes away from someone else's work. So yeah, I have to be very protective over what I've built. How stressed are you? You look not stressed. You look chilling. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of work you're doing all the time. Like how... How much of a toll has this taken on you? It's been different at different times. I would say the last month has been probably the hardest. Just growing as much as I've grown. I, I was in a really good like sprint where I was working normal hours somewhat, mm-hmm. especially since I quit my job. And, you know, maybe eight to nine hours, which is like nothing to run a 
you know, a million dollar one person business, right? Yeah. But the the growth that I've experienced over the past month has has set me back into my old ways where I'm just working mm. till one AM every night. And even then I'm not getting all the work done, having to start early the next day, go at it again till one AM. One AM is like my cutting time. That's like my, <laughs> my that's my closing hours. I don't I will not by any stretch of the imagination work till then because I know how to affect me the next day. Right. So I'm pretty much stressed, yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah, having yeah. a family. I mean, that plays a big part into me. If I was just like a single guy and like just running this business by myself, I could probably just go and go and go and go and go. Right. But yeah, how how that. old are you? What's your life like? What's tell me about your family? Uh, I'm 30 years old, married. I have um, a four year old, a two year old, and a newborn coming in four weeks. Oh so, wow! Stress. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. Stress. Yeah, man. Like no vacations. You know, right. I don't live a luxurious life. I just I just work nonstop. So right. Um, yeah. I saw this thread on Twitter the other day. It was like, ironically, it's kind of coming to the opposite conclusion. And this guy's saying, how old would your kids be if you die at 85? And so he's kind of saying, like, if you think about this, it'll make you want to work less than you do. And so for him, if he dies at 85, his oldest daughter will be 50. So I guess he, he had her when he was 35. Mm-hmm. and he'll probably be able to leave a decent inheritance. With he asks, is that really the best outcome? Like, by the time his daughter is 50, like, she's not necessarily going to need his inheritance. She's going to be, you know, True. like in retirement, and the face, like, it's gonna, maybe her, his grandkids will care. And then he's talking about the fact that, generally speaking, like, saving a ton of money when you're old is, like, you can't really use it as well as you can when you're young. There's other ways to insure yourself if you're worried about risk, and, like, if you want to leave it behind, like, essentially, like, your kids might not even need it that much. And so, like, yeah. ultimately, people might spend their lives, like, working and accumulating all this money uh, and then look back and realize, like, actually, I didn't need all this money and it was fine. I could have just worked less. And that would have been the yeah, best of my life. No, I agree. I mean, it's, like, it's tough, too, because the more money you make, naturally, the less money means to you. Um, mm-hmm. And that's been, that's been the case to me. And it, then, then the focus becomes just how much you work and what it's taking away from other things. And it's been burning at me for, like, the last especially the last three or four weeks where I've taken my nights have basically been taken from me. Then that's usually when I spend with my girls and my wife. Right. And you know, I'd like to be able to sit down at the dinner table, have dinner instead of like right. having it here at my desk. So yeah, it's been something that I've, I've been mauling over and struggling with, especially for the last three or four weeks that I've had moments of just honestly, like just wanting to run away from it all or, or cut like three quarters of my client base or right. just start something different or go get a normal job like, like with normal hours. Right. Like I have those moments of weakness where, I just want to like escape, but you know, I'm still figuring out how to get to something that's, that's more sustainable and more like family friendly for, right, for, right. for me. So I don't yeah. think those are moments of weakness though. I think those are moments of clarity to some degree, mm-hmm. right? It's your body telling you like, ah, is this, is this too much? Right. And you have like so many different levers you can pull. Like the fact that you doubled your prices, if you're sort of, uh, the kink in your chain is not, is not getting new customers in the door, right? It's scaling yourself. Then you can afford to charge more and more and more and more and more. And just tell everybody else they're not your customer. And that's something you can do. But then what happens to your existing customers? I guess they're still on the old prices. They're sort of grandfathered in. I wouldn't rec there's certain things I would recommend following what I do, and there's a lot of things I would not recommend following what I do. Um, and that's that's I think that's one of them. I, I've been I have had clients that I've had since day one of launching on Product Hunt in twenty seventeen. I've kept two or three I don't know if they were day one customers, but most of them were like right around there. And I've kept them at that same price. I had several that are still on the 1k a month plan that I had, you know, a few years back. So yeah, I mean, especially since doubling my prices and getting still a lot of interest in in people signing up, it's getting to the point where 
and I apologize if a, if a current client is watching this, but I was getting <laughs> to the point where I'm go- I'm going to have no choice but but to you know, eventually kind of ungrandfather people in and probably release them, which will end up probably happening from in the most cases. But you know. I think that's absolutely the right decision. It's your business. Yeah. It's totally okay. There's other designers on Earth. Like if you stop designing stuff for people, they're not going to be like you know completely mm. screwed <laughs> you know absolutely like, yeah. they'll be fine you know and your life can be a lot better and if like all of your customers are paying the new rate you know if you could get to that point like the whole oh my god would your life be so much simpler and better everybody yeah. else would be just fine if i could take just 20 like if i could just snap my fingers and have 20 clients instead of what i yeah. have yeah i would i would probably work six seven hours a day no problem at all right so right. yeah that's that that's in the cards for me, but I can do it. It's just a little. It's a little scary to do something like that. I mean, it's a little scary to cut like, you know, half or even a quarter of your clients. I mean, that's right. not something anyone enjoys doing. No. And then another lever you can pull is hiring. And so I, mm-hmm. I think I've seen that you like you've been looking to try to find yeah. designers to help you. Have, has that been successful at all? Oh man, I've had so much interest. I mean, not not just from that, but just I get messages all the time on on chat that's like you know people wanting to to sort of join the team and take on some design work. I, I too feel the pain and it's exactly why I created design joy. I feel the pain of hiring good designers. I'm a senior level guy. So I, I only want to work with senior level, senior level people, nothing against yep. people who are just, start, I mean, I had just started at one point in my life, but where I'm at and where I position design joy it is certainly on the more premium end of things, you know, paying attention to every single pixel that's put on a screen, right? Following conventions and, and things like that. So it, it is a particular type of designer that I'm looking for. And I just haven't not been able to find one that... If I find one that, that does designs pretty things, they're slacking in the detail side of things. If they're really on the detail side of things, they're slacking on the creative end of things. And I'm still trying to find someone that does both. Have you had to fire someone? Like if you like tried somebody out and be like, okay, this is going to go well, and then you know, never mind. I, I mean, my, my process here is like find someone that, that looks good on the outside, put him, give him a couple of, of projects to do in Figma, go in there and inspect every detail of it, checking pixels and checking just, you know, aesthetic in general. And that's where the majority of them fall short. And that's thankless work. Like you're spending your time <laughs> vetting designers to potentially hire that goes nowhere. And you could have spent that time making another $5,000 doing work for a new client. Yeah, I mean, it's and also it's like I don't like managing people. I don't even I don't call myself an entrepreneur. I'm like I'm a designer. I don't mean to like downplay it by any means, but I'm a designer. I don't have interest in managing people, and I'm a very introverted person. Doing something like this is a lot, a lot of like energy that that's taken from me. Though I enjoy it thoroughly, but it's like I'm an introverted person. So, you know, bringing on a team, taking on the livelihood of other people having to manage them, having to make sure that they have a consistent amount of work, reviewing the work, ensuring its quality. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's, that stress, in my head at least, seems greater than taking on all the work myself. Yeah, I'm the same way. I don't want a giant team. <laughs> I don't want, ideally, almost no I mean, at Indie Hackers, we have some contractors. It's me and my brother really full-time, and that's it. It's like the yeah, tiniest possible team. I was just reading team. that. That's awesome, and that's it's, amazing. It's cool to work with people that you actually like if you're going to work with anyone at all. And I think the vast majority of indie hackers do this because like, we don't want that lifestyle. Like, I don't know very many people who started a business and say, you know what? 
I love. I love that I've gotten away from the early days where I was just building and creating stuff and using my creative brain, and now I'm just managing people. Like no one says, <laughs> no, one no, wants to do that. no, no. It's I, I don't know. It's I, I'm I'm content where I'm at. That's I mean, granted, like, and I'm sure you're the same way, right? Like you see maybe other teams on Twitter that are getting together and like creating some cool stuff, and that I mean that interests me a lot. Like I do for sure know that they're could be a potential, you know, a huge value add in building a team and just being around like-minded people sort of a, going after the same goal, right? As like as as corny as that sounds, that does sound really fun to me, but getting there and and staying there is a whole other a whole other ball game. Yeah. You did an AMA so, on indie hackers and you talked about this. You said the world tells you that every business should grow, but in reality it all comes down to your own personal desires, what you want out of life. And I've chosen the path fewer headaches, less meetings, less managing people, and less constantly worrying about expanding and growing, all at the end of the day, making a solid living working for myself. And I think that's like the dream, right? Like less bullshit, more of the good stuff. (laughs) Hopefully not to the point where you're stressed out and staying up to 1 a.m., but like at least you're not going to useless meetings. It's silly. It's kind of silly to hear that back knowing where I'm at scale-wise, but it's important (laughs) to note that like I didn't choose to get here. Like I, this was not something that I actively pursued to be at the volume that I am at now. When I wrote that post, I was probably at a far less volume. I would imagine. I don't know what it was, but yeah, it sounds kind of silly, but the, the philosophy is still hangs true, right? Like, well, I think this is like the, like the beauty of your business. If you start a business that Specifically, it's like the beauty of charging more. If you start a business, you're charging people $5 a month or $25 a month or even $100 a month. Like the number of customers that you need to get to the revenue run rate that you're at is astronomical. Like you have to be super good at growth, right? Like, okay, like what is a million dollars a year is like $83,000 a month. If you're charging $100 a month, that means you need 830 paying customers at $100 a month. And even $100 a month is more than most indie hackers want to charge. Because most people come out of the gate and say, oh, I'm no good. I'm brand new. I'm just a one-person company. No one's going to pay me more than 5 or 10 or 20 bucks a month, which is absolutely wrong. Here you are charging like $5,000 a month. And I know, you know not all of your customers are paying that rate. But assuming like they actually got to that point, like that's what? You need like 16 customers to make a million dollars a year? <laughs> 16 customers. <laughs> when, you, when you're like, I got my, I just raised my prices. I got, I signed two people on yesterday at the new, at the new raise. It's actually 5,500 because they did, they both did Webflow. And okay. it, it really is like, it's amazing because in one day, I mean, most, on, most indie hackers and entrepreneurs would dream of growing their MRR by 10K in a day. Like that's like, a lot of them would like to get to 10K just at all, but charging more and offering a premium service and just executing it well allows for me to do that. I mean, my, my MRR can grow 20k a day if i have a good day right and yeah likewise it can also drop by that if people drop off right which has happened far and far less often as i've gotten better and worked with better people and charged higher prices right but um yeah when you're charging more like you said if like i'm charging if i was charged 449 bucks a a month it would take me forever to get to where i am and i would never be able to handle it i mean that'd be that would be unimaginable but yeah charging more is, (laughs) is always better i was reading this tweet from uh do you know peter levels Guy behind Nomad List, uh, Remote OK. Yep, I know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like prolific, prolific on Twitter. He's tweeted yes. uh, over the weekend. He's like, a month ago, I bought the domain rock.co for $8,000, and I made it into a short link service for remote jobs. So he's got this job board, Remote OK, and like, if you post a job on there like, and you send the link to somebody, like, the link to your job is like www.remoteok.com slash blah, 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 blah. And like, okay, what if you want like a link shortened version of it, right? Well, he now has that as an option 
where when you're doing a <laughs> job, you can do a link short. He's charging ninety dollars to or a hundred dollars to get a link shortened version. Mm, that's that's the dream right there. <laughs> hundred dollars. The he did this. He yeah. said, "I did this a month ago." He's now sold 125 of them at $100 a month. So he's added basically $12,000 in monthly recurring revenue, literally charging for links. <laughs> what I'm doing is like, yeah, it's, it's cool, but that's the dream. <laughs> it's, cra- it's crazy, right? But I think yeah. it just goes to show like people will pay money for things. You know, like they could go to Bitly and paste, copy paste their job listing into there and get their own short link for free. <laughs> and they are paying him 100 bucks. <laughs> I, I just think that, like, as entrepreneurs, we're like, a lot of us are just naturally insecure. Like, not not all of us suffer from this like uninformed optimism where we think everything's going to work and everything's going to be great. Like a lot of people mm. like myself are very risk adverse uh, and over analytical about whether something's you know plausible or not or whether I'm charging too much. Yeah. And there's so many people out there that are in such you know so many different situations that of what they can afford and what they can't. And mm-hmm. we forget that there are a lot of people out there will pay a premium for something that they like. So and, many people. Yeah. I so, the amount of money I spend on food is ridiculous. Like I'm like, oh, I don't want to cook. Like I just order out, and then I same here, same I here. I pay an embarrassing my, amount of money just to get food my food. Bu- my food budget, DoorDash, <laughs> is the biggest budget. Item that I have. Same here. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yep. I used to play poker with uh, one of the founders of DoorDash, who's now billionaire. Oh really? Oh yeah, my gosh. Yeah, he was very reckless at the poker table, and I was always like, Hey, can I get a discount? <laughs> I spent a lot of <laughs> spent a lot of money on DoorDash, and people people will do it though. I think it's the it's that's the point, right? So mm-hmm. I want to I want to talk about like what it takes to build a, a sort of agency of one. We've talked about a few things, right? Number one, you need this amazing skill set, right? You are super streamlined. You have done the same thing over and over, day after day after day after day. At this point, it's like probably just in your bones. You're like a virtuoso mm-hmm. magician, uh, musician, <laughs> right? Like I used to play the saxophone and like when I started, I sucked and after like five or six years, like I was super good at the saxophone because it's all I did. <laughs> yeah. So you need that. I think like the streamlined workflow part is really important where it's not just that you're good, but like you're getting predictable sort of customers coming. It's not completely different every single time, right? You're like, this is what I do. I do Webflow and I do design. What else do you think you need? Like what else, like what else makes this possible for other people who are trying to do this? The streamlined workflow is honestly like that's probably the, it's, it's a, it goes hand in hand with having the skill and having the ability to do it quickly. It's not one or the other. It's making it as simple and as manageable for yourself. It's also important to mention, like you don't have to get to the scale of design joy. I mean, if you're making 10k a month, I mean that's a very healthy living for most people out yep. there, and most people would love that. People, and I'm not saying this just because I'm a designer, right? But a lot of people suck at like their their landing pages just suck. You know, they like <laughs> yeah, they create bad. this like beautiful service that's like on the back end works very efficiently. Uh-huh. And then they just totally neglect the actual selling part of it, which like if I could like live in a world where I, money wasn't a thing and I could just help indie hackers like just create gorgeous landing pages that just sell what they do. Like that's, that's my passion. I would love to be in a position to do that um, because I feel like so many people need it. But yeah, like investing in, investing in like your, your brand. And again, it sounds silly being a company designer, but like investing in your brand and your market positioning and like, niching down and like do going after something very specific that is something it doesn't have to be reoccurring it could be one-off podcast editing it could be i'm like literally helping my sister like build a productized like interior design service that's like a physically is like physical stuff and the model can be applied to anything but honestly like just making it as simple as you can for both both parties I'm not going through and like investing a lot of money and building my own tools to like manage right. I'm using existing stuff out there that again has been proven. I don't have to manage it or pay for it or like or scale it. 
Tell me about that too, because I, I think these tools are super. Like, I was looking at the source of your website because I'm like, your website is clean. It is slick. It looks really good, but it's also like well made. It's responsive. I shrink my window. It still looks good. It's got these animations, and you're not like a computer programmer, right? Like you don't do. Uh, I don't do so code do, at all. Yeah, you don't do code. So how do you, how did you make this? Um, Webflow. Webflow is like probably my favorite tool that I've come across in the last four or five years. Um, I've been using it since, gosh, like. 2018 or something like that. And I've gotten very good at it. I can design pretty much any landing page design at all with it with zero code. Yeah, one of my best friends got like she learned how to code. I actually had her on the podcast a couple times. And her first thing out of the gate was not to just like go make custom, you know, apps for people. She learned how to code and just went to Webflow, which mm-hmm. you don't even need to know how to code to use Webflow, but if you do, it's like way better. And she just made Webflow websites for people and became like a Webflow consultant <laughs> and was like a Webflow expert. I can tell you straight up. I mean, I've seen it. I've been at the forefront of, of Webflow work for a long time in terms of doing the work and seeing its growth. It's very rare that I talk to a startup that is not interested in, in, go, in converting to Webflow or starting in Webflow. It's nowhere close to taking over WordPress by any stretch of the imagination, just given its history and given the fact that so many companies are already like invested in it and stuck in it. But Webflow is... Honestly, it's like the future of the web. It's honestly the most impressive website building awesome. tool out there. And it allows me as a designer to design whatever I want to imagine in Figma and actually be able to develop it pixel perfect with zero code, Yeah, which is Webflow's an incredible feat. People who don't know what Webflow is, check out uh, episode number 144 of the podcast. I talked to Vlad, the founder of Webflow. Yeah. And like, they're going to die. Like their company was like, like there's mm. a point where it was like, our company is not going to work. Right. And now they've raised, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, oh, man. raised evaluations, just crushing it. And he's like the sweetest guy ever. So uh, check out that episode if you haven't heard it. So Webflow, one of your secret weapons. What else? What other tools do you use to, to do what yeah. you do? A couple more tools. I, I use Trello. So Trello is where my client's design queue lives. And there's other tools out there that are beefier that have more features, but Trello is a very streamlined, simple tool. Most people are used to the like the Kanban boards already, or even used to Trello itself. Mm-hmm. So I I've set up people's queue in there, and that's where they input requests and provide feedback, and that's okay. where I deliver designs. Um, so that's that's the whole project management side of things. And then I use Airtable for internal purposes to consolidate the 50 or so boards that I have for each client into a single view. Mm. And that's where I manage stat project status. And it's just a single, a single table and that's it. That's so smart. Your, cl- your clients come in and they're using the software because like you could just do it all over email. Like, okay, email me. A lot of people that do start out doing product design services, they also, a lot of them invest in their own, you know, tools that they'll go out and build a, an, in, you know, queue based like product or platform that clients could sign into and it's like a branded experience. But even then, I mean, you're, you're never going to be better than Trello. I mean, you may get more specific and it may eventually get there. But for me, it was just so much simpler to just use a tool that exists, allow some other team that I don't have to do anything worth, allow it to make it better, right. manage it. And if it goes down, right, like it's, you know, they'll take care of it. I don't have to, you know, have dev, dev debt in that regard. So, yeah. What about Intercom? Because I noticed when I go to your website, you've got like, the classic intercom widget in the bottom right. I can mm-hmm. click that, you know, presumably chat with you, ask you questions. Like how valuable is that for you? Oh my goodness. Oh man. Um, insanely valuable. So for a long time, I didn't, I didn't offer calls. Like again, I'm an introvert. I don't like to get on like face-to-face calls or calls in general. So uh, for the first like three and a half years, intercom was my sole 
like route for customers to get in touch before they sign up. And most of them do. It's still today is. I mean, it's like it's been a completely like I would pay a thousand bucks a month for intercom, and it still be more than worth it to me uh, than more than the fifty bucks or so that I pay today. People complain constantly about how expensive intercom is as, as your business grows. Like, I guess it's not a big issue for you because you don't need millions of customers. But it's a super no. expensive tool, and it sounds like you're getting your money's worth. For me, it is. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak to those that receive hundreds of intakes a day and like and yeah. pay for that. But for me, it's I, I couldn't imagine going away from it. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at their pricing plans right now. It's like they got two tabs for most businesses and for very small businesses. And if you click for most businesses, <laughs> yeah. all of their plans are like get a demo, blah 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 blah. They do not show the price on their website. And that's what they're saying. Yeah. Most people should go with this enterprise pricing route. And even if yeah. you're a starter business, it starts off at seventy five bucks a month, which isn't cheap. For people who are just getting started, yeah. For me, it's funny because I I was on the the startup like the the early actually it was the early stage program up until a month and a half ago. They emailed me. They're like, "Hey, um, you're ready to move on from this like early stage?" Now, <laughs> like I was doing a million bucks a year, so I was like, "Of course I am." But it was just funny that I I was able to do that for as long as I did. But now I'm actually paying what everyone else is paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, but still well worth it. So let's talk about just to finish off here, like the marketing aspect of it. Because it seems like it'll be a quick conversation. You haven't really had to do very much. Like, how do people find? Does, I mean, at this point, like you're on podcasts, your Twitter account's blowing up. But like in the early days, you know, if somebody is just starting this. When you were just starting this, like nobody knew who you were. Like 99.99 percent of people never heard of you. Didn't need your services. How do you how do you get past that barrier where every yeah. customer is a rarity? I mean, I had no audience at all when I started Design Joy. It was actually called Hugh at the time. But when I started Design Joy, I had. No, I didn't have a Twitter. I didn't have an Instagram, nothing, right? I was just a nobody. But I had a good idea and I had the ability to like to design something that looked nice and a concept that was appealing. So I did what a lot of people do. Typically is the quickest way to enter the market. And that doesn't work for everybody. It worked for me, which was Product Hunt. So I, uh, I found a good like solid hunter on Product Hunt that had a good following. I actually built Design Joy. I thought of the idea on a Thursday, built it on a Friday and Saturday, launched it on a Sunday at midnight. And that it was a one-page site just like it is today. It looked a little different, but one-page site. And that was really... It was instantaneous. I didn't sleep for two days. I was up all night on intercom, you know, answering kinds of questions, made all kinds of mistakes, offered free tasks, which never got around to doing, but got hundreds of those. Of course, <laughs> why wouldn't I? Right. Um and yeah, I mean, that that was where I entered the market. And then that, honestly, it carried me for about a year or more just because the new design tools would pop up and Design Joy would surface on the sidebar and got a lot of referral clicks that way. And then as I've grown, like I started to share my story on Indie Hackers. Indie Hackers has unequivocally been the number one source of, of customers for myself. Really? Uh, like not, not even close. Not even close. It's rare that I get on a call with someone and I ask them how they don't say to indie hackers. Now, now it's getting like Twitter because I started that a month ago. But indie hackers is no nothing has even come close to that. I was gonna say if I um, wanted to start a business like this and I wanted my first customers, there's a whole group on indie hackers called like landing page feedback, where people post like <laughs> their landing page that they hack together for their product. And I don't know, there's like hundreds of posts a month in there. And like almost all of them are super crappy. And these are all people with businesses who want to grow and are financially motivated to have a good landing page. Like I would literally just go through here and be like, here's why it's not great. You know, here's how I can help you. And just oh, try yeah. to find clients. Because there's so many people on Indie Hackers who have money, have businesses, and they want help. 
and they're literally asking, like, can somebody please help me? It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to hire developers. It's hard to hire designers. It's funny because they're everywhere, but they're very hard to like actually get in, engaged with. But one one interesting thing that I've done with Design Joy that I've never heard anyone else talk about before in terms of getting clients, and I've said this on a couple of podcasts I was on recently, but it was landing page inspo sites have been massive for me as well. So sites like Landbook, Nice, Very Nice, Dribble, even if you think about it, like. Luckily, I had a, a good-looking landing page that actually was accepted in these sites. And a lot of people, that's accessible to them. There's services out there like DesignJoy and others that can give that to them. Right. But I, I posted DesignJoy every time I redesign it, which is every... you know I'd like to do it more. But I've done it a few times. And I posted these sites. And it's like, if you think about it, it's really the perfect place because mm-hmm. you have designers and founders and entrepreneurs going there to get inspiration for their own sites. They come across a site that they like it's a design firm and like what, <laughs> like what better, you know, like resource could I, could I utilize yeah. or something like that? You're and directly I, in front of your customers, your potential customers. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, those have been huge for me as well. And then I created a side project called scribbles as well. And, um, it was like a 24 hour project. I posted it to product time. I was the only one person that upvoted it. Uh, I didn't get any traction, but I posted on Landbook, and then now it's like, booming and 20,000 plus downloads but it's re- it's it's connected to design joy mm-hmm. and it sends a lot of referrals my way too so i've leveraged i've created this other thing that took 6 hours of my time and it now filters leads to design joy and i was able to leverage landbook product time which ended up working out but like that's a that's a strategy too is to create these like micro projects that out act yeah. their own traction that filter over to you so yeah i see it's on you have it up on gumroad and it costs about like $4 Somebody it was four bucks, yeah. Four bucks, and how much have you sold? Twenty twenty thousand plus of them. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so like, like envi- envision. Yeah, like envision uses them. Like yeah, a lot of people Google. Like yeah, you know, a lot of people have, have used them, and it's been like I, honestly, it was just like scribbles I did on my iPad. That was it, and I vectorized them because <laughs> I can't draw worth a crap, but I could do right. scribbles, right? Yeah. So um, yeah, well, most people pay money to advertise. Like I'm gonna buy ads. You're like no, I'm gonna make money with my ad for Design Joy. <laughs> and people are paying yeah. to download this thing, and then they're like, oh, let's just Design Joy thing and become yep. clients. Super cool. Listen, Brett, we're, we've been talking for an hour. I could talk to you for probably two more. <laughs> uh, thanks a ton for coming on and, and sharing the story behind Design Joy. I love, I love stories where it's just one person living the indie hacker dream, crushing it. I hope you can find a way to, to work less and still make the same <laughs> amount of money. But like you're, you're killing it. No, no, my, it is my pleasure. And thank you for everything you've done. I mean, for providing a platform for me. And I know, you know, it sounds corny, but like every other, every other indie hacker out there, like indie hackers, the platform has been invaluable to me just from, not just from like a, you know, getting clients, but also getting wisdom and insight. And they're the reason why I've raised my prices, just the feedback that I've got on there. And it's, it's somewhere that I go every, every single day and, and get inspired. So thank you for the platform that you, you, you've built and continue to run. Yeah, yeah. Well, will you tell listeners where they can go to learn more about you? I mean, you're on Twitter. Where can they find you on Twitter? Where can they find DesignJoy? Where can they find Scribbles? Like, What else are you doing online that people should know about? Find DesignJoy, just designjoy.co or just Google DesignJoy. Um, I'm now on Twitter at BrettFromDJ. Uh, that's my handle. And then, um, yeah, the Scribbles pack is is actually Scribbles with three Bs, um, dot design. So, yep. All right. Thanks so much, Brett. Thank you.